Let me just um, and it's Estelle Coombe Heath, correct? That's correct. Okay. Yes, it's a mouthful. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as half the names I have to say sometimes. <laughs> Alrighty. My next guest battled an eating disorder before overcoming it by using holistic practices such as yoga, mindfulness, energy medicine, and essential oils. Let's talk more about her experience. Welcome to the show, Estelle Coombe Heath. How are you, Estelle? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so well, thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I, I'm actually um, really interested to discuss these issues because um, I think eating disorders uh, have sort of been a little bit forgotten about because they were such a really big thing, sort of, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And then, um, I don't know, I mean, I, I suppose so many other things came up around mental health and physicalities and all this sort of stuff that you don't really notice it being spoken about as much as it used to be. And I think it's a really important issue to talk about. Um, so your disorder relationship started at the age of 12. Tell us how it started. Well, I, I was a gymnast and, you know, gymnasts are expected to have a certain physique. But at 12, unfortunately, I developed a lot um, faster than everyone else in the gymnasium. And so I unfortunately um, started putting on a little bit of weight in my, especially my stomach area. Um, I, I got my boobs early. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately... Um, my gymnastics coach, the one day he slapped me on my stomach and told me I needed to lose weight. And, um, you know, I, I took that extremely literally. Mm. And that's when I started like really reflecting on my body. And that's the first time I started comparing myself to others. Mm. And because I was developing faster than my peers, um, I started noticing that my legs were bigger my arms are bigger. I was obviously taller. And then I was really focused on my stomach because that was the first thing that was ever pointed out to me that yeah. was large. And since that day, I obsessed about my stomach and, this, uh, and its size. And it really took me <laughs> forever uh, when I started recovering to really detach that meaning to the size of my stomach and mm. what that really meant about me. What were some of the darker times during uh, darker things during this time? Sorry. Well, I mean, there were um, good times and bad times. Some, sometimes where I didn't have a lull, you know, I think the darker times for me came in, in 2015 when I developed a, a blood clot on my brain and um Obviously, this was life-threatening, or I perceived it as life-threatening, and I was on blood thinners, which was even more of a threat because I had to pretty much live in a little box not to scratch or scrape or bump because, you know, the doctors told yeah. me I could bleed out. <laughs> it, it really was such a scary space for me, and in that, I started obviously leaning into food and alcohol to try and just, you know, distract myself from that period and then obviously because I was gaining weight from that distraction I decided well I need to become more healthy and my version of healthy was a certain body type certain size 
so I really started pulling myself back into exercise. Um, I would run between 60 to 100 kilometers a week. I would run to the gym, work out for two hours, and then run home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you sound like me. <laughs> That's what I was doing actually in Sydney before I moved here. I was doing exactly the same. Crazy. So it's just crazy how I try to control that. And the more I started controlling that part of me, um, controlling my eating and um, over-exercising, the, the less control I had around the outbursts around food. And obviously no one knew about this. This was something I kept secret. And that was the reason why I worked out so much was uh, because I didn't want anyone to know I was struggling with it. And, you know, um, for me, technically, if anyone put on a bit of weight, immediately it meant in my mind that they were struggling. Mm. And I didn't want anyone to know that that was what I was going through. Mm. So I developed a term called orthorexia, which is the obsession of just eating healthy everything has to be clean pure uh, detoxed calorie free um <laughs> dairy free whatever you can think about so you obsess about absolutely everything that goes into your mouth um and you really judge others for what they eat so you see someone eating a pack of chips and you're like oh you know what that's doing to your body you know yeah. it, that is so unhealthy <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. It's funny because I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, think that eating disorders and, and around those sort of issues are, are only related to women, but it is just as prevalent in men. Um, there are men that get anorexia, the men that have bulimia. Um, and funny enough, you just even saying that to me really resonates with me because I seriously was doing that in Sydney before I moved here and met my, well, before I met my husband and moved over to Adelaide. I would actually get up every day. I would do an hour of yoga. I would then run to the gym where I would then run 10 kilometers. Then I would work out. Then I would run home. Then in the afternoon, I, and all day, all day, all day I wouldn't be eating carbs, you know, barely any carbs. I ate the same meal every night, which was a um, tuna salad. And it was funny when I first met my husband because, you know, he'd sort of stay with me for a, you know, a few days and he was like, you eat the same thing every night. Like I, I really need something different because this tuna salad ain't cutting it for me. And I only realized then that I'd actually been eating the same thing for about six months for dinner every night because I knew what to expect out of it, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we get into that space, you know, for me, it was a, a mix between the tuna salad or a, a, a pretty much a steamed chicken and mm. some vegetables, you know, and I think we get so stuck and obsessed with what healthy looks like or is deemed to look like, you know, that we, we forget what being healthy is really about. And that is, you know, being able to get up in the morning and have the energy to go out and things. If you're running and exercising six hours a day and that's not what you pay to do, that's not your profession yeah. and you still have the day-to-day -day stresses of work, you're running your immune system and your um, nervous system into the ground, <laughs> literally. Exactly, exactly. Now, why do you think people who are in the middle of this struggle find it hard to listen to advice? You know, I think it's because um, we think that the issue is with food. We have been told by 
the diet industry and the media and maybe some of our friends that, you know, like maybe just cut that out or don't buy that. Um, you clearly can't trust yourself around that. You must be addicted. Um, you know, you're a compulsive eater, all those kind of things. And we start believing that we start mm. believing that, you know, sugar is addictive and carbohydrates is, you know, from hell yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <you> know? <laughs> so when, uh, when someone comes with the advice of, um, and one of the things I always talk about is making peace with food. They're like, what the hell is that? What does that mean? I can't mm. make peace with food when some of it's out to get me and <laughs> it's calling my name in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but it it's really is because we've just, our belief systems are so cemented in that these foods are so bad for us, but it we can't see that it's driving our behaviors to binge eat yeah. the minute we get just a little morsel of sugar or something like that. I think that's the funny thing too, is that um, people don't realize how closely associated food and emotions are. Um, and a lot of the time we are using food to either, you know, sort of deal with something or to mask something else or to dull a feeling that we don't want to have and being able to shove something into our mouths and get that, that sort of, you know, pleasure of taste can, you know, often heal a lot of wounds. I mean, I think that's why so many people and so many movies associate eating chocolate and ice cream after a breakup. You know, it's, we see it in nearly every movie. Um, and I think that that's where all of that, what you were just talking about, the media influence and, you know, what we hear and see around us talking about food has a really big impact on how we associate with it. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, there is, um, and it, it's a very natural response, you know, so I always use this analogy when, when we are babies, we experience an emotion, but we don't know what it is. Mm. Um, so we cry, we can't communicate to our parents what's going on with us. So the parents natural instinct is, ah, well, let's go through the checklist of making the baby happy again. Mm. And usually that is the first thing they try is food. Now yeah. we sitting in that space, I'm feeling something, I don't know what it is. And then all of a sudden you get this beautiful, sweet milk, it's comforting. And, you know, it just really makes you not feel that for a moment and distracts mm. you from that emotion. And that's how we kind of become conditioned as we grow up. That's, you know, food is that source of comfort for us. And often it does stop the crying literally or figuratively for a moment. Um, however, it's just that it's a distraction. Mm. It's really, you know, especially if your eating is originating from an emotion or whatever, and you are using food as a distraction, the, an initial problem will still be there. And it might even pile up even more because you haven't faced it head on. Yeah. Yeah. Can I stop you for one second? You know, with your microphone that's hanging down as you're moving, it's actually hitting the other thing and it's oh. sort of making a scratchy noise. So, Is that better? Yeah. It's, it's exactly what we needed. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I just I didn't want apologize. that to be a constant noise through the interview. I was just thinking, I've got to stop you. Um, all right. So let me go back into my next question. 
So what do you think would be the one thing that could possibly snap someone out of an eating disorder? Now, I asked this question because I actually heard a very interesting story not too long ago. And it was about a girl who was being interviewed. She'd, be, she'd suffered anorexia for many, many years. And um, she basically was being interviewed and she said, you know, it was funny because nothing anyone told me would affect me. She said, people would say to me, you look sick. You look, you know, you're thin enough. I don't know why you're trying to lose weight. Like you're not even big, blah, blah, blah. She said, and all of that went in one ear and out the other. She said, it meant nothing to me because I, I believed I was overweight. She said, and she said, there was one thing that someone actually said to me, which absolutely turned my life around. And this person basically said to her, you look sick. You look like you're mm. about to die. And she said that literally hit her in the face. And that's when she started to actually do the big turnaround in her life. And I was, I was absolutely floored by that because I thought that's an amazing statement to make to somebody in that situation and in the, in the height of this eating disorder, but it worked and, and it's mm. actually quite incredible. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful story. And unfortunately, um, you know, some anorexics don't still don't want to hear that mm. they, because they struggle with um, a thing called body dysmorphia. So mm. it doesn't matter how, if you tell them you look sick or like you're going to die or you just bones, um, all they see in the mirror is fat. Yeah. So it's really amazing that she was able to lean on that advice and um, snap out of it, as you, mm. as you said. So I think, you know, most people with an eating disorder, if it's more like your bulimias or your um, binge eating disorder, it's really about shifting the mind and like as i mentioned before that making peace with food mm. and realizing that your your trigger is not to do with food at all you know yeah. the food is not the problem um and that's something i'm always very open about the problem is not the food and anyone who tells you that you need to cut things out or um you know never buy that food again it's making the problem worse mm. and it kind of aggravates the situation so i think when you get that mind shift um that's when a lot of a practice happens however that can take a lot of time sometimes because you've been conditioned or your own beliefs have been conditioned for so long that's unlearning that belief or you know, choosing to think differently um, can take a while sometimes. And that's where I think people have to have patience, you know, friends and family of people affected that are trying to heal themselves. It's not an overnight thing. It really is something mm. that they need to work on because they really need to work on the root of those emotional issues first before they even get to the food part. So it, it is, it's, a, it's definitely a waiting game. How did the disorder change over the years for you? your own personal journey so for me as i said it started with um mostly just emotional eating and then restricting um, some sorts of foods that would lead into cycles of binge eating and eventually uh when in oh in 2016 i decided i wanted to really help people with their health mm. and 
through that process, I also had this dream of becoming a, a yoga teacher. So in 2018, I actually um, went and did my yoga teacher training and I added a health coaching course on top of that. And through that process, I actually, um, so during that time, I was still struggling just more with binge eating. Um, but when I went on this healthy journey of becoming an example for other people, that's when the orthorexia actually started where the, the obsession of being pure and eating 100% healthy so that I can show my clients one day or my yoga students um, what healthy looks like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that made it absolutely worse. So yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting how it evolves um, around the time. Yeah, it's funny. Even with the binge eating, I mean, I mean, I try, I'm vegetarian, I, and I do try to eat healthy majority of the time. And my husband never gets why. Whenever he brings or I will bring something into the home which I deem unhealthy, um, I will want to eat it all of that. Like that night, I will eat the whole packet. And he's like, "Why do you do that?" And I said, "Because I don't want it in the house." And so mm. if it's here tomorrow, I'm going to have more of it tomorrow, more of it the next day, more of it the next day, where if I eat it all tonight, it's no longer in the house. And for some <laughs> reason, that comforts my mind. Now, <laughs> Well, that's exactly it. We, we're so scared of it being there that it's going to tempt us again tomorrow. Yeah. But the effect of eating it all at once adds that extra layer of guilt, of shame. You know, your, your chemicals in the body, like spiking so much from overeating that um if you had to stretch it out over the next couple of days um the the damage might not have been that severe plus you wouldn't have had the guilt afterwards mm. from eating that much yeah it's crazy how our minds work it really is <laughs> how did it affect your body did it affect your body did you get any sort of long-term effects or did you have any effects from it well um i had um I struggled for a long time with migraines mm -hmm. and that's from, I think it like mostly the over-exercising as well as a stressful career. Um, mm -hmm. So I had very often, I had to take off work for a couple of days because of these migraines that came in, but I also picked up a couple of injuries in my knees. Um, they're not as bad. It's not like I need surgery on that or anything, but my knees kind of do ache when it's cold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. So there was definitely um, more of an effect on my body from the over-exercise than there was from the binge eating side. Obviously mm. there, there were periods where I gained weight um, and there were periods where I lost weight. So mm. yeah, I suppose that just came, came with the, with the cycles. <laughs> what would you tell someone struggling with a disorder who may be listening? What advice would you give them? You know, the first advice I always give is that you are not alone. I think mm. when I struggled for so long, I just felt like I was so alone. I tried everything by myself and everything I tried didn't help. And in that, I felt so isolated. I didn't. I feel felt ashamed to talk to my friends and family um, about this because I didn't want to seem like I was struggling, like I mentioned earlier. Mm. And you know, because that would obviously perceive some form of weakness that I, you know, it 
convince myself in my mind. So if you are struggling, just know that you're, you're not alone and it's normal to emotionally eat sometimes. That's another thing that sometimes comes up for people. They're like, well, uh, you know, as a comfort eat sometimes and that's normal. <laughs> but also the third thing is, you know, food is not the enemy and your problem is not with the food. You need to kind of dig deeper to understand where that really comes from. Yeah, definitely. That's good advice. Now you help others with um, their own struggles. What type of things do you offer? So I mostly work with um, women um, in a one-on-one coaching scene where I take them through a step-by-step process of unlearning old old beliefs but also starting to heal the body um and the mind around food so we deal with all sorts of um triggers whether it's emotional physical um or habitual triggers Mm. uh, start breaking them break the beliefs that drive us to eat and also i work a lot with the emotional wounds that caused that in the first place we're really getting to the bottom um, of why we started this um, disordered relationship with food in the first place. Mm. What is your relationship with food now? It's quite nice. You know, like the other day I had a jar of Nutella that's sat in the (laughs) cupboard for ages. (laughs) That's, that's the ultimate test, you know, like, Uh, and a a packet of Tim Tams can be open. Nutella is, (laughs) Nutella is actually one of my weak spots. And I, I actually don't think I have had any Nutella, I would say, for a couple of years. So I think I, you've just reminded me about Nutella. I think I need to go and buy some. <laughs> <laughs> Give that a go. <laughs> yeah, well, when it was in my cupboard, I'm like, well, what do I actually do with this? Because I used to just eat it by the teaspoonful. I'm like, well, yeah. what do I like? So I needed to invent some recipes for it to go into because... <laughs> I <laughs> uh, see. I actually love it just on bread. <laughs> double, double, double the, the oh, badness. Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So where can people find out more about you, Estelle? Well, I hang out on Instagram quite a bit. Uh, the handle is wholesome lifestyle project. Mm-hmm. Uh, same on fa- my Facebook uh, group is the same. But if you are really struggling and you just want some weekly advice uh, on different topics on eating disorders or just um, how to kind of stop emotional eating or where to start, I have a Facebook group called Food Freedom for Binge and Emotional Eaters, uh, which you can look up and come and join us there. Oh, that's amazing. Estelle, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. I think it's very important for people to hear and also um, really important for people to know about your group because I think that when you are able to discuss things with other people, and that's the beauty of Facebook and having these community groups that are available to people, having other people that are in exactly the same position as what you're in really helps you navigating sort of the solution around your own issues. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It does actually like demystifies that we are alone in this and that we have to struggle with this burden ourselves. Yeah, and I think it also gives a really good point of um, comparison to see where you're at in the world and, you know, see that there is 
probably another 100,000 people out there like you, which is very comforting in these sort of situations. Yes, absolutely. It's actually scary, the number, when you look at the eating disorder statistics. It might yeah. not be talked about a lot, but if you actually look at it, it's frightening. <laughs> no, definitely. No, I thank you so much for bringing the point to us. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you so much. No worries. <laughs>